Matthew chapter 5, verse 35, it says this. Jesus said, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you made to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head for you can't turn one hair black or white. And there's probably someone here who's like, I dyed my hair last week. But that's not what he's talking about. Just say a simple yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Let's pray one more time. Lord, as we approach your word this evening, we pray that you would pierce hearts, help us to see as you see, help us to love as you love, that we could go into this world and represent you well. That we would see the people around us as people that we could sacrifice our own time and energy in order to reach. That we could be a blessing. We could be your ambassador to communicate your love to the world that does not know you and is in such need of hope and reconciliation. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. A binary system, the definition is a system involving only two elements as one and zero or yes and no. Binary means two, means two options. There is no third option. If any of you are coders, perhaps you are. I used to code HTML back in the day when I tried to design my own website. But binary code is the stuff that makes up computers. And there's only two values. Everything that you see in your computer is calculated down to two things, either a zero or a one, a yes or a no. And today, the reason why we're talking about this to talk about commitment is that many people don't want to be locked in to a decision. They want to have open options. Many people will ask you questions that's a yes or no question. And they'll look for a way out. But imagine if you were given a third option in binary situations. In other words, let's say that you're engaged. Hello, some of you will be at some point in some day. And as you're engaged, um, <laughs> you just decide there's a third option. You're going to go marry somebody else. There was no other option. It's either yes or no. You're going to marry this person or you're not. There is no third option. How insulting is that? Imagine asking a girl out. Guys, you have the courage to ask a girl out. And just imagine, I know it probably never happens, but you ask her out and she says, why don't we take a third option and just be friends? Hmm? What, what do you think about that? Not yes or no. How about we just be friends? I didn't give you that option. I said yes or no. <laughs> we can go if I bring a friend. Is it okay if I bring a friend? You ever have that happen? It's messed up. Don't do that. <laughs> just tell them no. They can move on with their lives and not carry the baggage 10 years down the line. I'm talking about somebody else in this room. Imagine, <laughs> oh, listen, when I get married, I'll have a lot less jokes to pull from, so I might as well use it. Imagine you're applying to college, and as you apply to college, you get a letter back, and you're like, am I accepted 
or why was I rejected? And instead of saying either or, they tell you, you know what, you can be affiliated to the school, you can pay us money, but we won't have you accepted into the school program. You're just gonna be really confused. What does that mean? And there are some situations that require a simple yes or no. Now, the only acceptable third option is when we as Christians bring it before the Lord. You know what? I'm not sure if this is what the Lord wills, and so let me, let me pray about it. But here's the thing. What that's turned into is a person asks you a question, and you say, I'll pray about it, which means no. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Like, I would love to go to your party, but let me pray about it. Oh, okay. So you just don't want to go. No, seriously, I want to pray about it. Today in our society, people don't keep their word and they don't want to give their word either. In other words, people break their commitments all the time. You, you see it happen, right? You can't trust anybody. And not only that, they don't want to commit to anybody else. But imagine if we could be a people that reflect the nature of God who is always faithful. I can think of people in my life who have been consistent, committed. As I was uh, a youth student here many years ago, 10 years ago I graduated high school, so that's how old I am. And I remember four years of high school ministry, there was one guy who was always faithful to be here on a Friday night. I don't think I've ever had a Friday night at Impact that he wasn't here. And he was faithful, he didn't say a lot, but when he did, it was always meaningful. And, he, and you knew that he always cared about us. And, and hopefully you guys can realize that the same thing is true for you guys here with the leaders that you have. Maybe you're having a rough time throughout the week. Maybe you're just having, you're having a trial or something's happening, but you know I can count on so-and-so being there on a Friday night. And they're gonna pray with me. If I'm going through a tough time, I have somebody I can call. And imagine being that type of person for somebody else. Imagine being a person that actually keeps secrets and you can actually be trusted. That's a hard thing to do these days, isn't it? It's hard to find someone that you can tell a secret to and you don't have to make them swear, make them promise. You don't have to do anything. You just know they're going to be consistent and they're going to be faithful. Well, here's the thing. When Jesus was saying this, he was talking about people that were being so legalistic that what they were doing is they said, well, we can't swear in God's name, so we'll swear by the temple because that's not as holy. Or, you know what, I'll swear by my head. Or I'll swear by the earth. As long as it, and they're just, and what Jesus is saying is, don't swear by anything. Why can't you just say yes and it's going to happen? Why can't you just say no and it's going to happen? And what he says at the very end of the, the passage is really telling. He says this, anything beyond this is from the evil one. Why does he say that? So what happens is Jesus is saying, if you're going to make a promise, don't swear by your head. You didn't make yourself. You can't even turn your hair as black or white on command. Don't swear by the earth. That's God's footstool. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by anything. Just be consistent, yes or no. Why would he say that anything beyond this is from the evil one? It's because Satan is the father of all lies and many people, they'll try to use their words to make people believe certain things about them that aren't true. Instead of being a trustworthy person, they'll say trustworthy things so that people believe that inside that they're a person I can trust. Hey, I promise you, listen, if I'm wrong, I, I swear, you, I'll bet you, I'll whatever. 
Whatever it takes, I will prove to you. Why couldn't you just be a consistent person previously? Why do you have to swear? Why do you have to promise? Why do you have to vow at all? Why can't you just be a person that's going to keep their word? Well, God desires his people to be committed and consistent. Not only to be a person that can make a decision and not just be flip-flop, just be one way and another, one foot in the world and one foot with God. As in 1 Kings chapter 18, remember, on the battle of Mount Carmel, Elijah said, choose this day who you're going to serve. If the Lord is God, worship him. And if Baal is God, then worship him. But the people, it says, were, were faltering between two opinions. In other words, they wanted to enjoy the pleasures of the world and yet have the benefits of being a person that follows God. But you can't really be said to be a Christ follower and still have your foot in the world. And that's what Elijah is saying. And that's what Jesus says. He says, you, you are either for me or you are against me. That's what he says. And so our first point tonight in commitment is, number one, being committed is not conditional. Being committed is not conditional. In other words, when you are a committed person, that should be independent of your circumstances. Regardless of whether it rains, it shines, it pours, you have a terrible day, you are committed. Why should circumstances affect whether or not you are a consistent person? And God desires his people to make clear, committed choices and decisions. Instead of being committed, this is what usually happens. And you tell me if I'm wrong. Instead of being committed people, what happens is we desire to appear to love others without the cost of actually demonstrating it. When you say things like, I promise I'll be there. I swear I'll be there. What you're doing is you are trying to appear that you care without actually embracing the cost of showing love to somebody else. So you'll say things like, hey man, I'll pray for you. It's easy to say that. But will you actually pray? It's easy to say, hey man, I'll be there this Saturday at your party. I know you've invited a bunch of people. I will make sure I'm there. Because in the moment, why do you say that? Sometimes people say that because they're afraid of disappointing them in the moment. I'll text them later to let them know that I can't be there. How many people have done that? If you are afraid of the person in the moment you think over the phone, over a text, that, that way I don't have to disappoint them to their face and see their disappointment. And that is appearing to love others without the cost of actually demonstrating it. Let me prove it with the Bible. John chapter 21, verse 17. After Peter denied Jesus three times, we know he felt like a failure, really disappointed. He had a discourse with Jesus over breakfast and Jesus said this, Simon, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? This is the third time he asked, and Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? So Jesus asked a very, very basic question. I want to know, because your track record has not been consistent. You said, I would even die for you. And then when a serving girl asks, are you a follower of Jesus? You hide and you, you, hide and you lie. And then you swear by the heavens, you swear by God. He actually says that, that he doesn't know Jesus. So Jesus wants to know, hey, do you actually love me? Because your track record has not been consistent with that. And what did Peter say? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. 
You know that I love you. You know that I love you. It's easy to say that with your words, right? So what did Jesus say to him? He didn't say, you're a liar. He said this, well, if you love me, feed my sheep. So, okay, you love me. Now it's time to take your words and put it to action. James says, what is faith without works? Show me your faith without your works. Oh, wait, you can't. Because faith will always do something. And I can demonstrate my faith by the things that I do. In the same way, if it is true that you actually love somebody, wouldn't you show that by your actions? What Peter wanted to say is that, Lord, you know that it was simply the circumstances that prevented me from showing you love. I would have been there, man. I would have went to your game. I would have went to your house. I would have went to the party. But my car broke down. I had a lot of homework. A person I've never seen, a person I haven't seen in a long time was in town. The circumstances prevented me from showing you love. And what Jesus is showing is it's actually the presence of unfavorable circumstances that prove how much love you have. Let me give you an example. Circumstances should not deter a person from being committed. It shows just how much you care. For instance, imagine you have a loved one in the hospital and there's a person who is on the other side of the country, flies in to go visit that person in the hospital. He could have rationalized, thought about it and said, you know what, it's, it's kind of far. It's, it's kind of a distance and I'll, I'll pray for that person. But, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with just praying. But how much more does it show the person's love when they fly across the country to go and be with that person? When there are unfavorable circumstances and the person still shows up, it shows you how much they care. Whereas maybe you have a birthday party and no one shows up. Or maybe you're the only one, right? Who's going? You always ask that question. We're going to have people hang out. Well, who's, who's going to go? Because I only want to go if other people are going. Imagine you say, well, regardless of who goes, I will be there because I'm your friend. And I want to hang out and spend time with you. Imagine if we did that. It shows how much you care. Here's the thing. Loving sheep, loving people, loving, not actually, so if you're not a believer and you're like sheep, <laughs> like you're just probably really confused right now. Jesus is like really obsessed with these sheep things. <laughs> sheep represents the church. And so loving the people of God is costly. Loving your enemies is messy. But isn't it true that Jesus was determined to go to the cross no matter what the obstacles were? Wasn't it true that Jesus, regardless of what was happening around him, regardless of the fact that he went to the desert, the wilderness, and Satan tempted him three times and said, hey, you don't have to go to the cross. If you just bow down and worship me now, I will give you everything that you want. But Jesus said, I don't care how difficult it is, not my will, but your will be done. He said to the father when he was in the garden, sweating drops of blood, knowing the pain he would endure, but he did it because he wanted to show how much he loves you and I. So what it comes down to is this. When we make commitments, who are we actually committing for? Why do we actually commit? And usually when we bail 
when we back out, it's because we're committing for ourselves so that we appear to be a loving person rather than going through the cost of actually showing somebody love. And so love always costs somebody something, at least in this sinful world. So who are we committing for? It's a thought-provoking question we should ask ourselves this evening. The second point involving commitment is this. Strong words don't make stronger commitments. Strong words don't make stronger commitments. So we found out that commitments are condition independent. They're not conditional. But also, strong words don't make stronger commitments. With people, this means that we will be committed the first time. We don't need any other language in order to appear like we love somebody else. And what I found is when we are inconsistent in matching our actions with our words, when we fail to show up, when we fail to be there for somebody else, we often try to use stronger words to show that we will take stronger action. So, a person asks, you know, while they're talking in conversation, says, I have something to share, but like, I don't know if you can keep a secret. I promise I will not tell anyone. Maybe it's falling through with a favor. And the person has to say, I swear I will pay you back. It's because you know that your track record has been not the best. Peter, the same way, Lord, you know that I love you. And so we make vows and promises so that people will take us seriously. You, it, you want something from the other person, and so you'll do whatever it takes. I promise, how much do I have to show you that I actually care? How about, how about you're consistent? But instead, what we want to do is we'll make the vows and promises in order that people take us seriously. Now, the Bible says elsewhere, not only in Matthew chapter 5, it says in James chapter 5, I love it because at the end of the book of James, James says this, but above all, in other words, if you didn't get anything from this message, if you didn't get anything out of the, you know, the book of the Bible that he's writing, you didn't get anything out of my letter, just remember this one thing, please. He says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. A commentator, Douglas Moo, great name, said this about this verse. Our truthfulness should be so consistent and dependable that we need no oath to support it. A simple yes or no should suffice. Imagine being so consistent that you never even need to make promises. People just believe you. Just imagine, like you don't have to like qualify. You don't have to say anything additional to what you're saying or what you're asking. People just take you at your word. But instead, what we find is that people are more unreliable than ever. In fact, I saw in a book by James Emery White, he said this, a study published in 2012 in the Journal of Business Ethics found that people are more likely to lie via text than any other form of communication. And <laughs> we know like we've all done it, right? It is so easy to lie over a phone. You don't have any vocal cues, any facial expressions to throw you off. You can like think about it, you can craft it, you can plan it, and you can respond when you desire. And you can even think like you have the text message 
text message written out and it's on your phone. You're like, should I send it? Should I not? Uh, okay, I'm just going to go for it. And you can do that. You can't do that with normal conversations. I think I'm going to say, I don't know. Uh, what I found is people are a lot more creepy, a lot more bold over text message because they can almost be something they're not. It's almost like they can create a best of. How many of you, you're talking to a guy, talking to a girl, and you have like five, you have a committee. You have five people helping you out with a text message. That is messed up. And I've done it too. But, listen. You want a tip from a person who's a single guy? Just be yourself. And I say that because I haven't been myself. So, pray about it. That was, uh, that was free. So, it's so easy to deceive people in our day and age. That's why we have to be extra careful. And not only do we do it with people to make them think things about us that aren't true, but we do it with God as well. Don't only, we don't only use promises haphazardly with people, but we'll even try to use it on God. How many of us, be honest, don't raise your hand, have made vows to God like... Lord, if you just bail me out of this situation, if you just give me this thing or give me that thing, I will read my Bible every single day for the rest of my life. Lord, I will give my life to you. I will serve you. I will go to church. I will. Why do we do that? Why do we promise to God as if like he doesn't see what's going on inside our heart? But we'll vow. And the, the thing is the Bible itself says that God takes our vows very seriously. Numbers chapter 30 verse 2 says, A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. Now here's the thing. The Bible is not against vows. Even Jesus swore under oath when he's brought before Pontius Pilate. There's nothing wrong with making those promises. But we should not use that to appear to be something we're not. Instead we should... Form our character in such a way that we're always consistent so we don't have to try to deceive people or even try to deceive God into giving us what we want. There's a, there's a passage in the Bible in Judges chapter 11 where there's a guy named Jephthah. Jephthah. Many of you know him for one thing and one thing only. His foolish vow. What happened was this guy named Jephthah, who was a judge in the book of Judges, in ancient Israel, and the entire book of Judges in the Bible was written under the context of there was no king in Israel in those days. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So the entire book you have to look at because there's some messed up weird things that happen in this book, like the story I'm about to share with you. But it doesn't mean that God condones what happens. It means that this is how it looks when man is living without the guidance of God. And so they had these judges that tried to figure it out. And sometimes you had good judges and sometimes you had bad judges. And so Jephthah was called, even though he was a half-breed, he was a person that didn't really belong to the people of God. But they saw him as a warrior. They saw him as an outcast. And they said, listen, we will make you our king. We'll make you our judge, person that rules over us, if you can only defeat the enemy. And so Jephthah's like, I think I can do it. He tried to negotiate. The people didn't listen. And eventually Jephthah... In this very intimate moment before the Lord says, Lord, paraphrase, if you will help me win this battle, the first thing that comes out of my house, I will give right to you. Now, I'm a little confused as to why he did that. 
Like, what did he expect to come out of his house? Something that moves, obviously. It's not like a plane, plane just walking out of the house. Was it a puppy? Was it a goat? I don't know. But it turned out to be his own daughter. And so what happened was, he wins the battle. God kept his end of the bargain, and he believed that he was to keep his because he took his vow very seriously. And so he told his daughter this vow, and the daughter, in some way, says, yeah, well, you have to keep your vow. And so some people believe that he, she was sacrificed, and then many people believe that she just had to live a single woman for the rest of her life and not marry anybody. Our object is not to figure out what happened. Either way, it seems weird, but here's the thing. Jephthah made a vow. It was foolish. He couldn't keep his end of the bargain. And he felt defeated afterwards, even though he had a victory by God. Now, why do I say that? All of us know what it's like to try to be a better person, a better version of you. And maybe we're very sincere when we make these promises, when we make these vows. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be con consistent. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be there every Friday. I'm going to be there for that person. I'll hold you accountable. I'll call you once a week. I'll hang out with you once a month. Yeah, we'll get together. And you make these commitments and you don't uphold them. And so how do you feel? Defeated. What do you do? Well, I, I can't go back because if I go back, it's going to be the shame, the embarrassment. Where you've been the past two months. How come you haven't texted me? How come you, you said that you were going to call me? You never called me. And because we're so afraid of that, the confrontation initially, we would rather just never deal with it. It's like we talked about before with the example of the text, the phone. It's a lot easier to say, I will be there and I will text you later to let you know I really will not be there. So what do you do in that moment of defeat? How do you become a committed person? You really want to be there and you make that commitment fully believing that this time you will change. Tomorrow I'll start working out. Tomorrow I'll start eating better. Tomorrow, And you purpose in your heart that this time you can really make a positive change. Well, here's the thing. This entire series is not to make you feel bad that you have not been committed. And many of you have been coming up to me saying, I am terrified for these series of messages. Maybe that's why there's 20 less people here tonight. But here's the thing. If your motivation is always try harder next time, you're always going to come up short and you're always going to feel like a failure and you're always going to run away. And you will believe that you are a failure. You will start to believe that if I have failed, I have denied Jesus not once, twice, three times in front of a servant girl. Maybe I am not the rock that Jesus called me. Maybe I am just Simon. I am just a nobody. I am just a failure. But Jesus said, go tell Peter, tell the rock, tell him, the person I called, the person that I love. And so what you need to know tonight is the thing that will be your motivation to be a committed person is not your own track record. I've been pretty good. I've kept my five commitments I made this week. What will motivate us is seeing how committed God is to you and I, regardless of how faithless and unfaithful we are. So what I'm going to do in this next portion of the message is give you six ways that God commits to us. You can write this down if you'd like. This is the third point, that God is faithful to unfaithful people. And I'm going to give you six ways that he does that. Number one, so if you've been discouraged, you can be encouraged now. Here we go. 
Number one, God is committed to keep his promises. God is committed to keep his promises. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says this. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he doesn't change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? God is always consistent. He is pure existence. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now imagine with me that God was like you and I, and God could change his mind. And that God could change his personality. Wouldn't that worry you? Because you never knew whether or not God is the same God yesterday as he is today. Maybe he forgives your sins today, but maybe he won't tomorrow. Maybe he's in a good mood today, he wants to bless you, but maybe tomorrow he's going to be upset with you. And because God isn't consistent or committed, you have no idea what God you're talking to. If he's in a bad mood today, like, hey, uh, should I talk to you tomorrow? Because I know that you're really upset because those things happen all over the world and you're probably really angry at those people and maybe I'll talk to you when you're in a better mood. But instead, because God is faithful and he is committed and he is consistent, we can trust him when he says, I will keep my word, I will keep my promises. This is why he promised Abraham. He said, I will make you a great nation out of your lineage. I will bring forth the Messiah eventually. That's what he told him. Your descendants will be more in number than the stars in the sky. Now, he told Abraham and Sarah this when they were around 100 years old. And so Sarah hearing that she's going to have a child promised by God, what does she do? She laughs. Ha ha, that's funny. That's funny. I'm, I'm like 100 years old. And that's not like biblical 100. That's like old. I am 100. In other words, this is a miracle that this would happen. And what does the angel say? He's like, why did you laugh? Why is that funny? If God says he's going to do something, will he not do it? Is he suddenly going to back out and be like, oh, 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 you're too old. Oh, sorry. I don't know why I said that. That was really reckless of me to say that. You know, I, I, sometimes I promise and I don't really mean the things I promise, but I'm sorry. No. And through Sarah, they had Isaac. And it was true. And his promise is fulfilled. And he is the father of many nations. Many even different religions still look to Abraham as their father. David, King David when he was running away from Saul, he could have thought, am I really supposed to be king? But yet he was promised, and Samuel anointed him. And not only after he had become king, imagine after he saw his family line, his children, his sons, killing each other, rebelling, just completely destroying each other. It could have seemed to David like everyone's going to kill each other and I will have no descendants anymore. And yet God promised him in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, he says, David, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Think about that. The fact that David messed up, you realize that that's the reason why all of his sons were causing all this chaos. It all stems from his initial sin, sleeping with Bathsheba, he could have thought, well, maybe God was going to be faithful before, but now that I've really messed up now, not only did I commit adultery, but I killed the person's husband. I've really messed it up, and there's no way that God's going to keep his end of the deal anymore. 
And yet God was faithful regardless of the fact that David was faithless and unfaithful. And so you and I can know that Jesus promised that he is coming back soon. Have you ever thought about this? That's why I was, I was like tripping out on this with Jay Falzer on the other day because we trip out on stuff sometimes, not drugs, the Bible. You ever think about why Jesus ascended into heaven? Couldn't he just teleport? Especially if he could walk through walls and people, you know, people have different views on that, but seems like in his new body, he could walk through walls. Why did he ascend into heaven? Well, the reason is actually in the Bible, it tells us he's gonna come down the same way he went up. Because I was thinking like, okay, where's Jesus? If he's in a physical body, he must be somewhere in this space-time universe, somewhere, in some galaxy, floating around or something. I don't know. It's just weird to think about. There's no direct answer, which sounds crazy. But the reason why he did that is not because he had to. It's because he wanted to remind us that he's coming back. So that you can't be like, oh, Jesus disappeared. I guess he's gone. Or maybe he's still hiding in the earth somewhere. It's like, no, I've left, but I'm, I will return, and you're going to see my coming, and we're to await it. Secondly, God is committed to be present when we are full of fear. God is committed to be present when we are full of fear. A number of years ago, I remember, I don't know what happened, but for whatever reason, I had gone to visit my good buddy, Dave Duquesne up in Massachusetts while he was still at photography school. Shortly thereafter, I started having problems with my liver. I had weight, like, I don't really know the technical terms for it. I actually got reminded of this because I was looking, I was cleaning out my room and I found like the transcripts from the, the doctor's office, medical records, whatever you call them. And whatever it was, I don't want to be graphic, but my liver was shutting down and it didn't seem good. I was going to have to go to the hospital. I couldn't eat for seven days. I lost 15 pounds. And I remember just lying on my floor, not able to eat, having no appetite. I just been like, is this how it ends? This is the epic ending to my life. Being 20 years old and I just die from some mysterious thing that my doctor tells me. I had to go to the doctor three times. The first two times he says, oh, you're, you're probably dehydrated because my urine was brown. Sorry to disturb you, but which indicates, you know, blood going through your stream and so anyway, um, so I would tell him, like, I, I don't think this is normal. And he's like, no, you're probably fine. You're probably dehydrated. Just drink a lot of water. I would drink so much water. I'd go back, I think I'm in trouble. So no, I just drink more water. And then I puked blood. And he's like, oh, something's wrong. I'm like, yes, I am dying. Fix me. So I survived, by the way, spoiler alert. But I remember in those times, I was thankful because that was the point in my life when you're about 19, 20, in your lower 20s, you often, and you might feel like this as a teenager too, you often feel like you have no idea where you're supposed to be and there's all this pressure that you're supposed to figure out right now. And this is before I was, felt called to ministry or anything. I just, it was a big question mark of what am I supposed to do with my life? And I felt like maybe this, I just, I'm not significant to the kingdom of God. I don't really matter and it's all gonna end here. But here's the thing. What gave me comfort is the fact that God loves me no matter what. And I will not leave this earth and you will not leave this earth one second sooner than the day that he has appointed for you. He has in his hand your life, the numbers of your days, the numbers of your hair. He knows everything about you and he loves you. Psalm chapter 23 verse 4, the famous verse says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's the most comforting thing. As I struggled with panic attacks for many, many years, the one thing I could count on is, I know it doesn't feel good now, but I believe that God is faithful. I believe there's a meaning to this. I believe that he's gonna be here tomorrow. I believe the sun is gonna rise tomorrow. I remember writing a song, one of my screamo songs back then, where I was talking about the one thing I can count on is tomorrow the sun's gonna rise. Tomorrow God's gonna be faithful. He's still gonna be here. Nothing's changing between me and God. And even if the circumstances change, God is faithful. Number three, God is committed to love us despite who we are. God is committed to love us despite who we are. It says in Isaiah chapter 66, verse one and two, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. What is he saying that? in that chapter in Isaiah. What he's saying is this. He says, listen, so heaven's my throne, the earth is my footstool. Like, there is no building that can contain me. Nothing. You build something, you build your church, you build your temple, it's arrayed with gold, that's all cool. But even the heavens can contain my majesty. However, I will, I will look upon this one and I will dwell in this one. It's you. Even though the entire universe is not fit for God, he chooses to dwell inside you and I. And not just anyone, but the person who is of a poor and contrite spirit. If you feel like you're insignificant, you're actually closer to God than the person that thinks that they're pretty good. And that should give us comfort that despite who you are, doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter if you're ugly, doesn't matter if you're Good looking, doesn't matter if you're talented, doesn't matter if you don't even know if you're gifted at anything at all. But God chooses you to love you despite you and because of himself to make something out of you, something beautiful. Next point. Number four, God is committed to the believer's eternal security. God is committed to the believer's eternal security. I think all of us have this fear of being left behind. Whether it's fear of the rapture, that you missed the boat, or whether it's not getting picked for the sports team, not making it into the school, not being invited when your friends wanna make a trip over to Texas, or your friends wanna go hang out all together at Inkwell. There's a fear of being left behind. And not only that, people fear, what if God ceases to love me what if God ceases to want me into heaven want me to go there well what we can know is that God says in John chapter 6 verse 39 this is the will of the father who sent me that of all he has given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day listen what Jesus is basically saying is since you have not earned your salvation, you don't have permission to lose it either. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Otherwise, you'd be in constant flux with your relationship with God. Does he love me today? Does he not love me today? I don't really know. Am I still making it into heaven? And each time that you commit something terrible, it should cause you to wonder, 
do I really have the Holy Spirit? But if you're even asking that question, that might be a sign that God is living inside of you because the Holy Spirit is grieved. Which leads us to the next one, which is number five. God is committed to forgive us when we sin. God is committed to forgive us when we sin. Let me ask you this. It's a rhetorical question, and we already kind of answered it, but how much do we have to sin in order to outsin the love of God? What do you have to do? Do you have to kill someone? Do you have to backstab someone, lie about people? Do you have to hurt God enough times? Well, wasn't it Jesus that told Peter, not only seven times you forgive somebody, but 70 times seven you forgive them? Why? Because what God is basically saying is that there's nothing that can separate you from his love. And he's faithful to forgive us of all of our sins. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You'd imagine like if people are in a relationship and they're being cheated on, not once, not twice, but many times in that relationship, that trust is broken and they might break up. But God says, as an example to show you how much I love you, I'm going to command my prophet Hosea in the book of Hosea, in case you didn't know what this is about. He commands Hosea to do this in Hosea chapter 3 verse 1. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods. God says, if you want an example of how much I love you, here's, here's a sneak preview. A little bit, a little taste. Someone loving a person who's a prostitute and no matter how many times they run away, he chooses to buy her back. Number six, the final point tonight. God has given us his Holy Spirit as proof of his commitment. God has given us his Holy Spirit as proof of his commitment. Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 through 14 tells us that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, the Holy Spirit is kind of like an engagement ring, a wedding ring. That he is our seal, the down payment, that God loves you so much that he is not going to divorce you. And the fact that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, which is something else we're going to talk about at the end of the summer, what, is, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? But he has given you that Holy Spirit as an indicator that he is always going to be with you, always there to comfort you, always there to give you his peace and his love. So in conclusion tonight, let me ask you this last question. Everyone look up here. Have you forgotten God's faithfulness to you? Has something this past week caused you to forget how much God loves you? Has something in the world, has someone in the church perhaps, caused you to forget that God loves you and he's committed to you for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer? In fact, in Joshua, and we'll close with this verse, Zach, if you want to come up. Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. I love this. It says this. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Maybe you're feeling tonight like God has promised you something, 
and you have not received it yet. And so you're feeling the temptation to give up. You're feeling like God promised you a calling. God promised you a certain direction or maybe it's something very specific. And you feel like God had not fulfilled that promise. Well, I want, to, I want to remind you tonight that if God has not yet fulfilled his promise, you can still wait on him because he's always faithful. That means we should ask ourselves, is it really of God? But if it is of God and he desires that for you, you desire a good thing. Many of you here, you compromise. You compromise in a relationship. You compromise and all sorts of different things because you don't believe that God's going to be faithful to withhold no good thing from those that walk uprightly. And so you think, well, can I really believe that God is going to give me this or that one day? He will if you would just be faithful to wait on him. Let's pray.